0: Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello, welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. I'm Nikki Weeks, I'll be taking you through this podcast. Um, So since this is the first one, I should tell you a bit about myself. Um, I just completed, so halfway through last year, 2014, I completed my PhD and Master's combined in Organisational Psychology. And what got me into Organisational Psychology is basically I'm interested in how the structure of organisations or families or schools... um, promote the motivation or demotivation of their members. Um, So that's what really interests me is what makes people tick. Um, I've also done a fair bit of research into decision-making. That's what my PhD thesis was on, so a fair bit of research there. Um, I'm also a mum. I have two lovely kids. I have a daughter who's seven months and a son who's two and a half years old, almost two and a half, Um, and I'm loving it, loving being a mum. And I thought that... um, There's a lot of very interesting things that that goes on when kids are growing up. So I've got into researching um, child development and that's what I'm hopefully going to share with you through this podcast. Um, So basically I'll be researching topics that are of interest to me. Um, So if you have children born since about 2011, most probably there'll be topics that are of interest to you as well. Um, So... Today's topic is going to be on baby sleep, um, so that is sleep in the first year. Um, so if your children are beyond baby age, you might want to th- skip to the next one, um, but there should still be um, topics that are of interest to you coming up. Um, so please don't leave all together. Um, and if you do have a baby or are planning on having a baby or are just interested in babies, this um, may well interest you. Okay, so let's dive right in. So I'll give you an outline of what today's going to be about. Basically, I want to give you realistic expectations of what to expect in terms of baby sleep in the first year. So the first topic I'm going to look at is the body clock and the development of that. Second thing is night wakings um, and how often that happens. Third is self-settling, so how often they self-settle back to sleep after waking up I also came across an interesting factoid along the way, so I'll share that with you. And then I'll provide some take-home messages, um, including ways to prepare yourself and and some steps you can take towards decreasing night wakings and improving self-settling skills. Okay, so let's get straight in. So body clock to start off with. So your body clock is basically your well, it's your body's clock, your body's um, way of telling you when it's time to sleep and when it's time to be awake. It's your body clock that throws things out when you travel time zones because your body tells you that it's time to sleep when it's no longer time to sleep and it's time to be awake when it's now time to sleep in the new time zone. Um, So your body clock is, yeah, it's what makes you get tired when it's time that you usually sleep and that sort of thing. Um, So this research on The Body Clock is based on a review by Davis et al. from 2004. If you want any of the full references, um, please do visit the show notes. Um, The show notes will include all of the references, um, key points, as well as any links that I mention. There will also be a link to the full transcript. So to get all that, you go to www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash babysleep. Um, so that's forward slash baby sleep for this episode. So baby's body clocks emerge around 10 to 12 weeks. So what does that mean? That means that in the first 10 to 12 weeks, don't expect to see too much of a pattern in terms of when your baby sleeps and wakes, um, any attempts to form some sort of routine are likely to not really work in the first 10 to 12 weeks, um, I guess there's a chance that it might speed up the development of their body clock, but I'm not sure about that and I'm sort of doubtful that you'd be able to get a baby to sleep at certain times when they're that young anyway. Um, So, yeah, routines I think in the first 10 to 12 weeks are likely to fail. Um, But it also means that noise and light in the first 10 weeks 10 to 12 weeks are unlikely to affect their sleep that much. Um, they certainly do after that. Um, but in the first 10 to 12 weeks, it's it's really the milk intake that regulates when they sleep and when they wake. Um, so noise and light, it means that if you're a party animal, you can be a party animal for 10 or 12 weeks more, <laughs> um, but probably no more than that, sorry. Um So, yeah, you can continue to go out with your baby and the noise and light shouldn't stop them sleeping in the first 10 to 12 weeks. But um, beyond that and when their body clock is starting to develop, you will want to um, maintain, I guess, more natural lighting and noise conditions. Um, So after the 10 to 12 weeks, this is when you'll begin to gain some predictability in when they sleep. Um, Their body clocks are set by the environment. So sleepy time is set by dark, quiet, low activity conditions, um, which is why it's often recommended that these conditions are put into their um, nighttime bed routine. Um, and it's a spe- I think this is probably especially important when the body clock is getting established. Um, so when they're young in the, in the first year and beyond that sort of 10 to 12 weeks, it's probably particularly important that you look after the Um, natural lighting and noise conditions when they're going to sleep. Um, Interestingly, body clocks actually naturally run on a 25-hour cycle unless they're synchronised by these things like the light and that sort of thing. So if you put um, adults in a cave, they're also going to go out of whack by an hour or so and it won't be that long until they're sleeping during the day and waking at night if they're not exposed to natural light and that sort of thing. So a very natural way, of course, of getting your baby's body to sink is to um, make lighting conditions as natural as possible, taking them out in the morning so that they see the sun um, and not using too many artificial lights once it gets dark. Of course, this becomes more difficult in countries where it's light all day or dark all day, and I, I guess mums in those conditions learn to get around it and to set the baby's body clocks I guess it becomes even more important to pay attention to these sort of things there I'd be interested in um, comments if you are from one of those countries or if you've lived there with a baby it'd be very interesting to know what you do um yeah so regular meals and daytime naps can also help I didn't look into exactly how these work um but I suspect it's similar in terms of your baby. Your your body learns to expect to eat at certain times when you usually have meals, and not at other times. Um, so in a way, you're you're setting your child's hunger to some extent. Obviously, there's a um, a large extent that's also determined by how much they've eaten and how long it's been. Um, and that's another thing that does regulate sleep as well. It's not only your body clock; it's also um, how long it is since you last slept and how well you slept and that sort of thing. As you probably know, as a mum, because as a mum you'll often want to sleep when it's not usually time to sleep, and that's because it's, it's been a while and you haven't had much sleep. Um, so on that same topic, let's get on to night wakings from babies. Um, so according, according to Galanda Tal from 2012, night wakings are the norm until a year old. Um, but they should decrease over the first year. Um, That was based on a review of many studies from memory um, with many different ways of measuring baby sleep. If we look at Burnham et al. from 2002 and Goodland Jones et al. from 2001, they actually um, had cameras in the baby's rooms so they could see when the baby woke. Um, and when they say night wakings, they don't necessarily mean mother wakings or parent wakings. Um, they mean when the baby opened their eyes and may or may not have called mum in. Um, so according to their research babies wake on average three times a night throughout the first year and that really was throughout the first year so they looked at one month olds three six nine twelve month olds um, so and that average of three it, it uh, it's a rounding but once you rounded them to the nearest um, full number it was three across the whole year apart from the first month yeah so one month olds woke up four times a night on average. Um, so that's slightly higher than the three that was the case the rest of the year. Um, but three was the norm for the rest of the year. Um, so one month olds, um, there was a fair bit of variation. so a stand, it was two was the standard deviation, so I'll explain that for people who that doesn't mean much for. Um, so one month olds, if you took 21 month olds, 14 of them would wake up two to seven times a night. So that's a fair fair range, but it also covers the majority of babies Um, were waking at one month old two to seven times a night. And if you want to cover more of the babies, 19 of those 20 babies would wake up zero to nine times a night. So that's a lot of night wakings, Um, but it's within the normal range. Surprisingly for me, at six to 12-month-olds, and the figures once you rounded them were the same for six and 12-month-olds, this didn't actually decrease that much. So 70%, so that's 14 of the 20 babies, were waking up one to five times a night when they were six and 12-month-olds. And 19 of the 20 babies were waking up zero to seven times a night um, when they were 6 and 12 month olds. Now I'm I'm using proportions out of 20 just because um from my study in decision making I know that it's easier to understand proportions rather than percentages. Um that's why I'm using proportions and 20 is the you know lowest common denominator it's just the easiest um, way of explaining it for these figures. Um, so that's why I'm saying out of 20, it's not because they had such a small sample sample size of 20. I think the one I'm drawing on is Berner and I'm pretty sure they had about 80. Um, at least one of those studies had about 80 and the, I think the other one was similar. Um, they both had fairly good sample sizes. So when I'm saying out of 20, it's just for your ease of understanding, um, not because that's only how many babies they had. Um Okay, so thankfully baby night wakings doesn't mean mother night wakings because babies will wake up during the night, open their eyes, go oh, everything's the same, go back to sleep. Um, and they were able to detect that in these studies because they were done by video camera and they could see when babies woke up. Obviously they must have had some special infrared stuff because they could see through the night. But um, yeah, that was camera-based. Okay, so that means it's very relevant to get on to self-settling. So when is your baby going to fall back asleep themselves? Um, So self-settling, I've learned, is a skill that develops over time. Looking at at self-settling as a skill is very interesting, and it does make sense when you think about it. What you're asking your baby to do when you're asking them to settle themselves to sleep in their cot is you're asking them to calm down enough, ...from any emotions that they're feeling. So they may be tiredness, they may be excitement, um, stimulation, interest, all of these things. You're you're asking them to calm down from those emotions enough that they can fall asleep, close their eyes. Um, You're also asking them to physically calm down enough that they can fall asleep. Um, So if they've got a new skill that they want to practice and they want to just roll over and roll over and roll over you're asking them to stop doing that for long enough to fall asleep. Um, And just like skills as adults, um, uh, if we were learning a new skill as an adult, if we tried to do it when we were particularly tired, we might have a harder time of it. So just like that, babies can have a harder time sometimes um, self-settling. So they can have a harder time of self-settling when they're overtired. Um, So if your baby self-settles once, it's not time to go, Woohoo! my baby now can self-settle. It's a new skill. They have done it successfully once. That's very good. Um, But it will come and go. When they're overtired, it will be harder. When they're uncomfortable with teething, for example, it will become harder. Um, And there's developmental disruptions as well, Um, developmental milestones, which are great, but they can disrupt the sleep and the self-settling. Because if you think about it, it's just like, us as adults. Like I had trouble getting back to sleep from the three o'clock night waking last night because I was excited about recording this podcast. Um, So I had trouble stopping thinking about this podcast. And obviously babies wouldn't be thinking in words like I was, um, but they would be thinking in in whatever way they experience the world and they can have trouble turning that off, Um, especially when they're going through developmental milestones um, like learning to crawl um, Beth's just learnt to commando crawl, that sort of thing, can disrupt this ability to self-settle. So let's look at the research and see what the statistics tell us about self-settling. Um, so Berna Mattel from 2002. Um, uh, before I go on, I should probably tell you that um, Berna Mattel's study and Goodland jones study, um, both of them are from normal samples. Um, so these are normal babies. They're not babies who have been presented for sleep problems or anything. And in fact, Berner and Mattel's study was a longitudinal one. So they actually looked at babies from when they were one month old and then followed the same babies through three, six, etc. months old. Um, so therefore the mothers at the time they signed up to the study, or parents when they signed up to the study, wouldn't have known whether their baby would have trouble sleeping or not. Um, so, Berna Mattel's study certainly didn't have kids who were. Particularly having trouble with sleeping. Goodland Jones et al. recruited people at different ages, so they had a cross sectional study with um, different children of one month old, three months old, etc. So it's possible that, for example, the mothers of six month olds um, signed up to the study because it was a sleep study and they knew that their child was having trouble sleeping. Um, but I think it's unlikely that that happened too much in Goodland Jones' study because their figures were very similar to Berner Mattel's st- um, figures. So I don't think that's likely. So back to the statistics. Um, so Berner Mattel took the approach of looking at out of 10 night wakings, say, how many did babies self settle from? It wasn't out of 10, it was out of two nights observation. So however, however many night wakings there were for that baby in those. Two observation points at one month old, and then those two point at observation points at three months old, etc. Um, but anyway, I'm going to again use proportions using every ten night wakings. How many did they self settle from? And at one month old, um, almost not even um, three of the ten night wakings babies self settled from. So at one month old, if they woke. At one month old out of every ten night wakings they self settled for three of them and called mum or dad in for backup for seven of them. By six to twelve month old, this was not even half. So it still wasn't still not even five out of the ten babies. Or oh, so sorry, no, we're not talking babies not not even five out of the ten night wakings would babies self-settle from. This is on average, so there would, again, be a fair range around that. There were probably babies who self-settled from all of them and probably babies who self-settled from none of them. Um, but on average, not even half of the night wakings were babies on average self-settling from. At three months, um, and then, sorry, this is a different study, Goodland Jones et al. took a different approach. They looked at um, what proportion of babies self-settled from the majority of their night wakings. So this isn't all, this is the majority. So more than five out of ten. Um, Goodland Jones asked how, how many babies were settling self-settling from more than five out of ten of their night wakings. So at three months um, of age, only not even two out of the 10 babies were self-settling most of the time. Um, And by 12 months, this figure was still only 50%. So only half, only five out of the 10 babies would self-settle from the majority of wakings. Um, So I found this very interesting um, because I have got the impression from the books I've read and from other mums that babies can self-settle, that if you do everything right... Your baby will learn to self settle very early on and will self settle from the majority of wakings. And these statistics say that that's really not the case. Um, Yeah, so if your baby is waking up many times a night um, and not self settling very much, it's not necessarily, please don't try to, please don't feel angry at your child or feel like frustrated that you're a bad mum because these statistics tell us that that is extremely normal. I also found an interesting factoid along the way, which is that we've got um, during active REM sleep, which is that rapid eye movement sleep, I believe that's when you're dreaming, um, you actually experience, you actually have paralysis. So you cannot move your limbs when you're in this active REM sleep from six months of age. So I found that interest, very interesting. It explains a couple of things for me. One is why newborns will flail and wake themselves up Um It's because they're probably experiencing um, dreams just like we do. Um, They're probably moving about in their dreams, Um, but for them they don't have paralysis, so that moving about means hitting themselves um, and waking themselves up. And it also explains those dreams that I have where I'm trying to fight or I'm trying to run and I feel like I'm moving through molasses. It suggests that maybe on some level I'm actually aware that my body is not moving like I'm telling it to move. Um, in my dream. So I found that very interesting. Okay, so let's move on to the take-home messages. Um, so what we can take home from this is that we need to plan for disrupted nights. I knew when I signed up to being a mum that I would be sleep deprived. I-, I expected that, but I guess I didn't realize how long that would last. I didn't realize that it would be f- be five or six months and I would still not have had a straight eight-hour sleep at night um, or ever, really. (laughs) Um, And now I think I've been going seven months and still haven't had um, a straight eight-hour sleep. Um, So, yeah, I didn't realise it went for that long. So the best thing you can do is plan for it. And how I got through the first six months with both my kids was I co-slept in the first six months. Um, and there are safe and there are dangerous ways to co-sleep. So if you are considering co-sleeping or you think you may co-sleep in desperation, um, then please do check out the link on the show notes to a site that tells you pre- precautions to take when you're um, when you're planning to co-sleep. Um, how I did it was I had no arms reach co-sleeper, so my baby slept in a, in a sidecar to the bed, so they were on their own surface. Um, and there was no way I could roll onto them or they could roll into me. Um, but they were within, within arm's reach, um, as the name so aptly says, and I could easily bring them into bed and feed them, um, obviously with all the right precautions in the actual bed itself, um, to make that a safe option, um, But, of course, there are are people who who aren't willing to co-sleep and that's absolutely fine. So if you're planning to get up with your baby, and I I certainly did for the first um, quite a while with Xander because I was just learning to breastfeed and it wasn't wasn't easy. Um, So I needed to get up and I needed a little bit of light to see. Um, So if you are getting up with your baby, I guess just make it as enjoyable as possible. Um, so have a podcast, for example. Um, I used a lot of audiobooks and podcasts. Um, So, yeah, plan for those disrupted nights. Also plan for the sleep deprivation during the day, so don't put too much on your plate. Um, Have or try to form a good support network um, of people who can help you out during the day if if you need help with your kids or the housework or that sort of thing. Okay, so another take-home message is that um, your child is not a problem child or a bad child and you are not um, a bad mum if your mom, if your child is not sleeping and self-settling. I, I think there's way too much emphasis put on sleep and as a new mum you're asked all the time how are they sleeping as if that is the definition of how a baby should be as they should be a good sleeper. Um, and look, babies aren't really um, looking at these statistics, it's quite frequent that they will wake up and it's quite frequent that they'll need you when they wake up. So um, don't blame the baby and don't blame yourself basically. Um, But of course, if you're struggling to cope with the amount of sleep deprivation and the night wakings, or if you do think that these night wakings are particularly unusual for your baby or or if you just feel as a parent that there is a problem, obviously seek help from someone qualified to give it, um, paediatrician, that sort of thing, um, because you as the parent probably have have the best sense of, of if something's wrong. And if it's really not working for you, then, then you do need to change something. So there are some steps as well that you can take in the first year to try to decrease the number of night wakings. And this is based on the study by de Burnam and Tal in 2002. They were the ones who did the longitudinal study, so they looked at the same babies one month, three months, six months up to 12 months, and I think possibly even beyond. Um, so, so they looked at what predicted how many of the night wakings babies would self-settle from at 12 months um, using figures from earlier on in the in the year and they found that and I'll tell you what they found and then I'll tell you what I can extrapolate from that in terms of actual steps you can take so they found that babies self-soothed more often at 12 months if their parents waited longer before intervening when they cried at, at 3 months um, and if their parents um, were holding them less and less throughout the first year. Decreasing holding during the first year, this could be that parents noticed that their babies needed a lot of holding at one month old or three months old or parents just really liked holding their babies, Um, but they didn't adjust that over the next year as their baby's needs changed and they no longer needed to be held as much and would actually sleep quite well not being held. Um, It's possible that parents didn't adjust for that and therefore their babies didn't learn to self-settle as well as the parents who um, followed the baby's cues and put them down more as they got older. Um, And this is holding only during the night, by the way. They were only taking, this is based on the cameras in the baby's rooms, only looking at behaviour during the night. Um, But... So, yeah, it's it's possible that this is because the parents weren't responding to the baby's cues and putting them down as the babies changed over time, but it's also possible that it was baby-initiated. Maybe the babies had particular trouble with, um, with separation anxiety that often occurs around six months, um, and therefore the amount of holding did actually increase, but that was in response to the baby wanting to be held more. So it's possible it could have gone either way. So I don't think we can necessarily say that as a parent you should decrease the amount of time you hold your baby throughout the first year and then they will learn to self-settle. It could be this interplay between parent and child. Um, But anyway, there's some direct steps that I have taken from this that you can try in the first year that should help help your baby to develop self-settling skills as soon as they can. So the first is to provide opportunities for your baby to fall asleep in your, in their cot. Um, so I think this advice can be taken too far or pushed too hard, um, and I know it's advice that stressed me a lot in the past, but how I incorporated this advice was that I would always do a calming routine, whatever that was, at the stage of stage and age of my children, um, and then I'd put my baby in in their cot or co-sleeper to try to fall asleep themselves, and that was Plan A. And I never really expected Plan A to work, and it very rarely did. Um, I'd then go to Plan B, C, D, and E, um, which often involved. Feeding and hugging and bopping and all those very hands-on sort of things that babies often need to fall asleep. Um, but plan A was always you fall asleep in your cot, and realistically, it just didn't really work very often. But I provided the opportunity, and that's the important thing. And I did notice because I did this more more strictly with Beth that I'd always start with this step, and I noticed that she she did self settle more and more more frequently. Um, up to now, which is like seven months. Um, So, yeah, it does work more and more often. So it's worth having that as the first step. The second thing you can do is when they cry, wait and listen first. Um, So this can be, again, taken too far. But, oops, speaking of crying, there's Beth. I will come back and tell you number two soon. Okay, I'm back. So number two was when they cry um, wait and listen first. Um, that's pretty funny that at that point of saying that I ran off to, um, say hello to Beth, but it was, it was well and truly time for her to wake up anyway. Um, so yeah, when they cry, wait and listen first. And you will over time learn, um, when, what the, how, the difference between the cries that say that they're about to get really distressed and need your help. Um, and the cries that say, oh, I'm just trying to get to sleep here and I might manage it by myself. Um, so, yeah, wait and listen and with time and experience you will learn which cries which and you'll be able to then respond faster to the cries that you know will end up in distress and respond slower um, and wait longer for the cries that that mean I might be able to do this myself, mum. Um yeah. So number two, wait and listen first. Number three, try to settle them in their cot before picking them up. So this is part of the decreasing the amount of holding. Um, I got really frustrated with all the books that would tell you, just, just pat them in their cot till they fall back asleep. And then just gradually stop patting them sooner and sooner. And I was like, but patting them doesn't work. And it didn't for both my babies. It, it very rarely worked. Um, But even so with Beth, I've again been stricter at when she cries, I go in and I pat her first and there's the odd occasion where it works. Um, So it is worth trying um, and with all of these things, they're worth trying, but don't stress if it doesn't work. And that's something I'm adding as my fourth step is don't stress um, because I know that all these recommendations—they put a lot of pressure on us as mums, and they can make us feel like failures when we don't, when we're not able to stick to these steps. Um, but realistically, we're not going to be able to. Our babies go through hard times, and they're just learning this very new skill. Um, so, very often, these things are not going to work, especially in the first year. Um, so, don't stress. Um, do provide the opportunities. Provide the opportunity. Provide opportunity to fall asleep in their cot. Um, give them opportunities to self-settle when they cry and wake up at night um, by waiting and listening first. Um, and do try to get, get them self-settle in their cot by patting them first. But if none of those things work, don't stress. Just, um, just do what you need to do to get them back to sleep and get you back to sleep. Um, because habits can be changed um, and... As mums, we're under enough pressure as it is that we don't need the added pressure of trying to feel like we need to be a perfect mum by sticking to these very strict rules when in the first year parenting isn't about sticking to strict rules. It's about being responsive to your child. So, yeah, number four, and it's a big important number four, I think, is don't stress about any of these things, but do try to do them every now and again. Um, or as part as your part of your routine. Okay, so um, that's that's basically it for the content for day, for today. I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, and if you did, I'd encourage you to subscribe if you haven't already. Um, also, if you enjoyed it, I'd really love it if you could leave a review on iTunes um, because that would really help me to get spread the word out and get more people listening to the podcast. And I think it's providing valuable important information for mums, um, new mums and mums like me who are um, somewhat established. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so thank you again for listening. If you want to follow any of the links that I mentioned in this podcast or if you want to check out um, any of the things I've said or or the transcript, please go to www.practicalresearchparenting.com. Forward slash baby sleep. Um, so that's www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash baby sleep. You can also find all the full references there. Um, so next week we'll be talking about sleep associations from a psychology perspective. Um, and something I forgot to mention is that in the next episode I'm going to be starting something in the introduction which is adding just one little factoid about myself in the introduction. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Pat Flynn for that idea because I got that directly from his podcast. Um, so thank you, Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income Podcast, um, for that idea. Um, and yeah, I hope you enjoy that. Initially, I thought that was a silly idea because I don't like small talk, and I thought it sounded like a bit of small talk small talk in a podcast, um, but. As it turns out, I've actually really looked forward to hearing that little factoid about him. So I hope you also enjoy learning a bit more about me. Um, Please do feel free to contact me. I would love to hear from my new subscribers. So thank you very much for listening and please spread the word. Thanks. Bye. Bye.